You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. As Tyler just mentioned like just a minute ago, um, we've been talking about everyday Christianity, so all these different sort of topics about like what are we, um, how do we be a Christian in all these various different ways and these various different parts of life. Um, and today... Me, well, me and Tyler, the, a few weeks ago, we were like having a chat and he was saying, oh, well, we've had these talks about marriage and we've had these talks about, um, raising kids, um, but we've not really had a talk about being single. And I was like, well, I don't want to give that talk at, at all. So we like went backwards and forwards a little bit and, and it sort of got, it got morphed into like purity as, as the topic. And I was like, well, that's even worse. I don't want to, I'd rather do. But anyway, no, we're going to be talking today about the topic of purity. And um, right off the bat, I sort of want to say that there's elements of this message that um, as a whole won't be for everyone. So there'll be bits that won't, won't necessarily be for you in your life situation, but hopefully there'll be something within what I'm talking about for everyone. There's something that some people can draw from. Um, the various things um, I'm saying today. So, I wanted to start off, I don't know if you've heard many sermons before, like uh, growing up I heard lots of sermons, and from time to time there'd always be the sermon that started off with, so I looked up this word in the dictionary, and this is what the word means. And so what I'm doing this morning is I'm saying, what isn't purity? Because I think we have this concept of what it means, and I don't think we're necessarily right about it. I don't think it necessarily means what we think it means. And the reason I've come to that conclusion is because when I was um, researching, when I was looking up, when I was doing a bit of reading and articles on the internet about about this topic and about how Christians approach this topic and, and all that sort of stuff, I found um, some views that were sort of lined up with what I learned as a teenager, as a young man, um, that I now find kind of problematic or unhelpful um, for the situation that I'm in now as someone who's almost 29 and still in that place of um, not being married and still in that place of singleness. Um, because growing up, what, we, what I understood by the term purity... Um, is that it was a synonym um, for virginity. So we use this word purity to mean this other word, virginity, and we sort of like mold the two together, and that's just kind of how it works. Especially, I mean, this is from my experience, especially growing up, that's, that's what, it, what it meant, and that's what it was all about. So then what happens in that is that you've got a, a whole group for which like married people for which this term purity just doesn't apply and it doesn't have because once you've, you're in marriage you, you don't have to worry about this word anymore because we use it to mean this very narrow term so for all of those who like aren't married it's we, we still apply it and it still is in use but then for those who are married then it's just something we used to think about in the past I don't think that's necessarily too helpful and then the other element was that people who were telling me um, as I was growing up about purity and how to stay pure until marriage and all this stuff, um, they, were, they were younger than I am now, 
and they were either married at the time or they were married before they reached the age that I am now, if that makes sense. And then so many of my friends also got married young in the church and they, you know, they, they were enjoying all the stuff that you do in marriage, um, like joint bank accounts, obviously. Um, <laughs> and, and going seeing in-laws, those, those kinds of things. They were enjoying those kinds of things and I was not, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, you get to this stage of life and, and people, um, people are getting married who are now younger than you and then people who are like friends of mine are having babies and they're like on their second house and they've got like mortgages and all this stuff and I'm like, oh, I've not got any of that. Like what? And all I've got is, is potential shame if I break this purity rule. And it's like, it's not, it doesn't balance up with how you, how can you live in, in that environment? How can you flourish in that environment? You're sort of out, of, out in the cold with no positive reward. You've only got the negative shame in, in case you do, in case you do mess up, then, you know, shame on you. But like, there's no positive, there's no, no flourishing that's, and it's, it's hard to live in that, in that environment. I need to say right near the beginning, um, that to hear what I'm not, don't hear what I'm not saying in that. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying, oh, sex outside marriage is a great thing, we should all do it. I'm not saying that at all. Um, I'm saying that we should redefine what we mean by purity. And we shouldn't have this narrow understanding of it. We maybe should reassess how we respond as people of grace. So how we, how we respond when um, perhaps we've messed up or how we respond when perhaps we know someone who has messed up as the church, as a corporate body. How do we respond as people starting from a position of grace rather than starting from a position of shame? There's a quote that, um, that I read as I was researching this just on a, on a blog and I thought it said it really, really well, much better than I can. So I'm just going to read, read it out. It says, if your goal is staying pure until marriage, you're going to walk into a marriage highly dissatisfied. That's because you were never meant to lose your purity. In fact, it's not something that can be lost. It's a lifestyle, not a state of being. Something you either walk in or you don't. It goes with you everywhere, even to the bedroom. It goes with you because you go with Christ. You see, as I've said, we often confuse purity with virginity. On the one hand, one is lost, but the other one is lived. And I think we need to remove that confusion, especially, you know, this can apply to when you're bringing up your children and they're growing into teenagers and stuff like that. You know, we need to, we need to say that one is, is lived and it's not, it's not a case of, limping across the line into marriage as, as trying to stay pure and then, oh, I can breathe again now. It's like, actually, it's, it's something that we decide now and we live out from this point on and into our married lives and into our later lives and into the, the um, things that we instill to our children and to our grandchildren and 
And it's like a legacy of purity that we need to believe in. Not a legacy of shame. We're called to be pure no matter what happened in the past and no matter what's happening in the present and no matter what happens in the future. And we're called to be pure because Christ is the one who purifies and he's the one who sets us free. You know, I like to think of it as a higher calling, a calling that's in view of God's mercy. So it's like God makes this first move and in view of that first move that God makes, this is our response, this is how we live out being pure in all of our lives. And so when I was looking at how can I define, how can I try and redefine purity, um, not for the dictionary, obviously, just for, like, us. Um, I thought there's three, there's three elements, because I was, like, studying how to do classic sermons and three points is good, so I thought there's three, three elements that we need to um, think about, and those are laws, lies, and grace. So first of all, looking at laws... The, in the, back in the day, the Jewish law system, the system that was in place when Jesus was around and Jesus was talking, there were all these things that made you clean or unclean. There were things that you did or things that maybe happened to you, you know, like touching a dead body maybe, um, or you sort of went too close to the wrong person or something happened to you or whatever it was. There's all sorts of, you, if you want to read the Old Testament, passages that talk about these things, then great, have fun with that. Um, but there's all these things that make you either clean or unclean. And these rules of purity, they what they did is they had a place for everyone, but they also put everyone in their place. You know, have you ever felt like you've been put in your place when you've done something that goes against the norms of society? You've ever been in a place where you've been like, actually, I shouldn't, people say I shouldn't be doing this. People say that I should be doing that and, and I sort of get told off for it, you know. A friend of mine would always, um, he wore shorts all year round and people just found it really odd. And it's like he, he got put in his place wearing shorts all year round. Silly example, but you know. In the world, first century world of social classification, based on purity, based on where, where do you fit in society based on this purity rules? Jesus said, purity is not about what's on the outside. It's not about what you do. It's what's about what's on the inside. There's this whole passage of, of um, him with his disciples and they're, they're eating with unclean hands. The same translation for impure hands would be the same word in, in the Greek. Um, and the, the people are outraged. They're like, oh, they, not because they've not washed their hands before a meal. Like they weren't that bothered about that. It was it was the cleansing, the ritual purity. They were outright outraged about that. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. It's not what goes in that makes someone pure or impure. It's what comes out from within them. It's who they are on the inside that defines whether they're pure or not. It's purification of, of the heart. See, I think maybe that it's time to put aside old notions of purity. And maybe that requires us to have 
open conversations with people, difficult conversations with people. Maybe it requires us to get people around us who are going to have those conversations with us so that we're not struggling on our own and so we're not hiding these issues below the surface. Because there are issues that whatever stage of life you're in, whatever married, not married, um, I don't know, fancy, like having a nice car or whatever stage of life you're in, you know, you you struggle with these issues. There's there's issues going on that are below the surface that we hide and that we keep under there. And actually, we need to start breaking those things down and we need to start sharing things with each other. We need to start being a community and a family. Um, and that's not just going willy-nilly to everyone and just saying like, oh yeah, I had like seven affairs last year or whatever it is. I didn't, by the way. That's not me saying that. That was an example. Um, the the idea is to you know get someone around you who you trust, have open, honest conversations, talk about your struggles, talk about things that are going on. Maybe it's time to stop being shamed into keeping quiet. Maybe our response to people needs to change. Maybe that's what keeps people quiet. It's that we've we've made purity and virginity these same things and we, we've got this shame thing attached to it. Maybe it's the shame that we need to remove in order to build people up and to be open and honest with each other and have these relationships that actually uh, are fruitful and beneficial. I think maybe we need a sexual ethic that embraces God and removes shame. And then I wanted to talk about the two lies that are at work. There's the, there's the lie of the world on the one hand, and then there's, there's the lie of the church, or almost like legality within the church, I probably should say. The lie of the world is that Sex outside marriage, oh, it's no big deal, don't worry about it, it's fine, honestly. Especially if you're not married, just go for it, it's fine, absolutely fine. And then the lie of legalism within the church is that it's the biggest deal ever. Like, honestly, if, if you so much as think about it for too much, too long, God is just so angry with you and he hates you and it's just so bad and it's the biggest deal ever. And both of those lies are at work. And people maybe believe both of those lies at different points in their lives. And there's, there can be restoration when God doesn't, when it doesn't go the way that God intended. I think that's what we need to be talking about. There can be restoration. Both of those lies, they rob us of our relationship with God because they tell us something that's not true about our identity in Christ. They tell us that actually our identity is all tangled up in this one thing, that this one thing is is really important. Either that it doesn't matter at all and we can just give it away and do what we want with it, or or on the other hand, that our whole um, Christianity is tied up with this one um, understanding of purity. There was the quote that I read earlier from um, a woman on a blog was in response to another woman who'd written um, about how she'd got married. She was a Christian. She'd been brought up a Christian and she'd been through like all this purity ring and and all this stuff. And And she'd got married and she felt dirty and she felt um, 
she felt like she was damaged goods. And even though she'd remained pure until marriage, she couldn't deal with the fact that actually now, because she said some vows in a church and signed a piece of paper, that God was now okay with it. She couldn't deal with that fact. And so she eventually, and it's really sad, she eventually ended up leaving the church altogether because she couldn't deal with um, being a married woman and all that that entails with her husband and also being a Christian. She couldn't tie the two together because she'd been damaged so much by this idea, this bad idea of purity and the, the way that it's so tied up. There's, um, there's a tension that, that goes on and it reminds me of something that Paul says in, in Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 6. And there's this exchange that is between Paul and the people in the church. You can turn to it if you want and sort of follow along where I'm going, but I'm not necessarily reading it out. Um, and what's happening is there's some men in the church who are trying to justify their behavior, trying to justify their, their sexual immorality. And um, just as an aside, just to say this, the word that we translate as sexual immorality in the Greek is the word porneia. And that is where we get the word pornography from in, in our English language. That's where the word comes from. And, you know, this relates, this idea of sexual immorality relates to every facet of our lives. It relates to what we look at, it relates to what we think about, it relates to what we act out. So it's not just that these men were doing this one thing because um, these men in, in this passage are going to prostitutes. It's not just related to that, it's related to the whole thing. So we can, we can take that from it. These men in, um, in 1 Corinthians 6, they're going to these prostitutes and they're saying, no, no, Paul, honestly, it's okay. Everything's permissible. That's fine, honestly, don't worry about it. And they're saying... Don't worry, because God is going to destroy the body in the end anyway. So actually, it makes, in the long term, it makes no real difference. It's not really that much of a big deal. And Paul's saying, no, you've missed the point completely. If you think that it's about that, if you think that being a spirit person is about being separated from what you do in, in your body and what you do, and what you act out, and how you live as a person. If you think that being a spirit person is about that, you've missed the point, and you've not understood what the resurrection of Jesus as a physical restoration means. See, because Jesus was resurrected not as a spirit, but as a body. He was resurrected whole and fully human. It's a full restoration of a whole person. And that means that for us, even though we have been made new in Christ and we are new creations and all that stuff's going on, our identity is forever shifted, but we're whole people. We're still whole people and what we do still matters. See, I think sexuality and purity have always been a problem for the church and I think it's an approach. We, our approach needs some reform. We need a positive sexual ethic, not a binary rule about sexuality. A binary rule meaning that marriage good, outside marriage bad. 
We don't need that. We need a positive sexual ethic. Sexual ethic that's informed by the light of Christ. That starts with grace. That starts with the phrase that therefore there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So that those who are caught in the act are not condemned because there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And we see Jesus modeling this very thing um, with the woman caught in adultery, for example, who is set to be condemned to death. And Jesus says, you know, let he who is without the sin cast the first stone. And, and they go, oh, no, we, well, we've all sinned, so we can't really. And Jesus goes, well, there's no one left then. And he's like, and she, the woman's like, no, no, there's no one left. And he's like, well, I don't condemn you either. There's, there's no condemnation, but there's gentle correction. You know, go and don't sin anymore. It's the same with the, with, um, the woman, um, the woman of Samaria. I like to call her Mrs. Atwell. Because she was the woman at the well. But, um, it's, that's not what they call her in the Bible, but I just, I just like to read it that way, you know. Mrs. Atwell. It's the same thing that Jesus does. There's no condemnation and there's gentle correction. Because that's starting from a place of grace. That's starting from a place that says there's therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You know, this purity, this idea, reflects my identity in Christ. It should be one of my core values because it reflects who I am in Christ. And... Bear in mind that I've said the word reflects and not is. Because we, if we, if we tangle the whole thing up into my identity in Christ is based on, um, on me staying pure until marriage, then you set yourself up for a fall. Not necessarily that you will fall, but you know, you, you are right on the edge there. If, if something does go the way that you don't plan it to, then who are you anymore? Well, it's like that's, that whole identity is lost. But my, because of who I am in Christ, I live out purity. That's where we should be coming from. It's a reflection of who I am in Christ. It's not that it is who I am. In response to the person I find myself becoming because of who he is, that's how we, that's how we should be doing it, how we should be living. So there's a, there's a sort of, um, a thought that I want to follow through through Romans, um, and it's Romans chapter six to eight, and um, I'll be reading a bit of chapter eight in a little while. But the beginning of the book of Romans, um, this is like the world's shortest intro to the first five chapters of, of Romans. Um, Paul tells us all about what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be a follower of Christ, and what it means to be a grace person. And then he starts chapter 6, and he has this caveat. He says, yes, you're like a new creation. You're no longer in sin. You're alive in Christ, and all this stuff. And he's like, but that's not a license to sin. He says, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? And then he goes, by no means. 
You know, no way. You better not think that that is the point of grace, because that is not what the point of grace is. And then it's like he, he goes on this, this whole sort of explanation for the next, like, two and a bit chapters. He says, we've, we've died to sin. That's something we've, we've, he's dead and buried. We've been baptized into Christ. We've been raised up into new life. It's about who we are and how we ought to reflect Christ in the way that we live. He's saying, look, sin shouldn't reign in our bodies anymore. And he spends the, the time explaining this. And then he gets to chapter 7 and he says, and I know sin shouldn't reign in our bodies, but there is a tension because there are sometimes times when I do things that I don't want to do and I don't do things that I do want to do. Um, it's the tension of that of purity and it needs to be managed it's something that needs to be managed and we need to put things in place in our life in order to do that it's something that we need discipline for um, over the last 12 weeks now um, I've been I've been running three times a week and sometimes it's hard and sometimes it needs discipline for me to actually get up and run um, and sometimes I'm not I, like an old woman with a dog overtakes me because I'm that tired. <laughs> and, uh, but I still get up and do it because it's discipline. And sometimes I'm not very good at it. But the point is, it doesn't happen all. It doesn't happen so much now because I'm, you know, I've been going a while. Um, you know, it's managing. We need to put things in place to manage and to live in this way that, you know, sometimes. What I want to do, I don't do. Sometimes what I do want to do, I don't. I, I don't know what I'm saying because I'm confused. But you know, what, you know what I mean. Paul says it in chapter so You can read it; it's fine. It, it's confusing there as well. Um, we don't always get it right. There are there are times when affairs happen. There are times when crushes happen. There are times where. Um, flirting happens, there's times when porn happens, there's times when wrong relationships that we build, emotional connections that we build with people happen. And that can be, and that can be devastating and that can have real consequences. And that can have consequences that need to be de- dealt with. But as grace people, we need to be responding from a position of grace and restoration. It's how we handle it, how we handle it that shows if we've got a grasp of what purity really is or not. Especially when it's someone else who's done this. When it's someone else who's done something that, that doesn't reflect the, the, the made wholeness that they have in Christ. How we respond to it reflects how we understand what purity really is. How we live it out. Because we're all human and we're all only one mistake away from that same fall. It's not a goal we set. Purity is not a goal we set. It's, we, as I said, we don't limp over the line into marriage. It's a lifetime commitment that reflects the beauty of Christ and the power of his resurrection. And then Paul hits us with the opening passage of chapter 8, which is where I think that we should get our... Um, our ethic of our sexual ethic from so that therefore this is um, ch- chapter 8 of Romans verses 1 to 5 um, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus 
Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mindset on what the spirit desires. It's from that point that I think we need to get our response. See, the point of all of this is that our identity is in Christ. We're spirit people. We're Christ-shaped people. We're people who live by the power of the resurrection. We live in accordance to the spirit. And thus we have our mindset on what the spirit desires. Yes, that tension still exists. But we need to declare over ourselves that we've crucified the flesh and we now live by the spirit. A change has occurred in us. A change deep inside of us that transforms us and continues to transform us. And we need to live like that's true. We need to live like we actually believe that. Let's let God do the judging of people and let's be people who err on the side of grace. There are more things that I've written down and I realise that I don't know whether I've got that much time to say them. Um, But I want to say this. Um, May we realise that God is for us. God's on our side. You know, we sing... In, in the song, don't we? If, if our God's for us, then who can be against us? That no matter what's happened or what you've done or what's been done to you or, or any of that, you're not like that woman thought that she was. You're not dirty. You're not damaged goods. Allow him to refine you. Allow him to remove the impurities and reveal the purity. You know, when something is is impure, there's an element of purity in it. It's just got other stuff added to it. There's other stuff added to it that makes it impure. It's not that the whole thing is impure. It's just that there's stuff added that's that's not natural and doesn't, doesn't fit with what the um, original content is supposed to be. And so that's why, um, that's why when they're refining gold and they're, they're doing all that stuff, they, they heat it and they remove the impurities and they're left with the purity that remains. They've not added anything to it to add the purity. It's not that we can add stuff to and add stuff to in order to minimize the effect of the impurity because the impurity is still there. It's always still there until it's removed. 
And the only one who can do that removal is Christ. It's not a case of just trying to, you know, I've messed up this once and I'm going to try and like work really hard and work really hard and do all this stuff and I'm going to do all this stuff and I'm going to be much better. But that stuff is still remaining until Christ removes it, until Christ purifies you and sets you free from all that stuff. Let him refine you. Allow him to purify you. Live in the new identity that God has created in you, that God's created you to be. You need to live as that person. And when you don't live as that person, don't allow yourself to get down in all the guilt and all the shame and all the stuff that doesn't quite fit with that what that person is. Look to that person that God's made you and say, this is who I am. Tell the 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 sort of sin and, and the shame and stuff, no, that's not who I am. This is who I am. This is who I am in Christ and declare it because it's true. It's who you are. It's not a case of, um, it's not a case of like you stuck in this, in this impure shell until like, I don't know, you get some prayer ministry or something or like set free from, from it at some big event or meeting or something. It's like when you've done something, don't be, Shamed. Don't be caught in guilt. Don't f- just recognize the grace of God. Recognize that He set you free, and live and talk as though you're a person who's been set free. Obviously, don't tr- try not to sin anymore. That would be a good thing to do. Um, live as someone who has been set free, who's been restored. Be people of grace and of resurrection in our sexual ethics. Not just in how we act or think, but how we respond to others. You know, I recognize that for some people this might take some time because we've got stuff so ingrained within us that it takes some time to deal with, especially in how we deal with other people, especially when we deal with, you know, all sorts of stuff that the church deals with in general, you know, even even from the point of um, of like um, the LGBT community, gay marriage and stuff like that, you know some people for some people that can be really hard to go, actually, I need to respond as a person of grace and not as a person of shame because that you know and I'm making no um, comment on on morality or anything in that sense. But what I'm saying is our response needs to be from a place of grace. Maybe it's something that you need, you need prayer to deal with. You need people around you to deal with. Maybe you've got to work through some stuff in your head. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Or maybe you need to forgive yourself. Because I know that Jesus has done it. Whether you forgive yourself or not, God's forgiven you. And God's set you free and he wants you to walk as that person who's got a new identity in him. Know that purity is is our lifelong commitment to honour the person that God's called us to be. Not a temporary abstinence in order to avoid shame. 
Christ took on the greatest shame, the greatest shame in his death on the cross, and he defeated it, and he set us free from it. And he said, actually, world, this shame that you've got doesn't, this is not what contains me because I can set people free from it. Because he's the living God. You know, I'm going to finish with, with this phrase from, uh, from Romans again. Know that there's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church, passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.